All right, um, I'd like to start us with a word of prayer, as I often do on these weeks, and just mention a verse and um, something for us to meditate on for a moment to stop, uh, because although I do believe doctrines of Scripture are devotional and provide encouragement to your soul, I do think it might be a good thing for us to pause on just a verse of Scripture before we begin. Uh, so I'll read Psalm 19, verse 14. And I'd just like to read it, uh, mention a couple things to meditate on, we'll pray, and then we'll get started into our topic for the night. If you're not familiar with Psalm 19, probably might be my favorite psalm. Um, verse 14 is a good one uh, for you to meditate or even to memorize. It says, let, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So a couple things we can meditate on, uh, just as far as examining your heart and your life. Uh, maybe take the psalm in a moment here. We usually just take a moment of silence from a busy day. Think on the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart today. Have they been pleasing and honoring to the Lord? And then I would carry that down further and say, maybe you've had a difficult day. Think about how the Lord is your rock and your redeemer. So just take a moment in prayer, and maybe you need to lift up some requests to him, whatever it might be. But let's pause in prayer, just silence together, and then I'll close us out. Lord, your word reminds us that your eyes see where other people cannot. Lord, you know the meditations and thoughts of our heart. Lord, our desire for holiness is not just a desire for external holiness, but we desire for what we think, and then the overflow of that, what we say, to be pleasing in your sight. So Lord, we confess to you the ways in which we failed. Also ask, Lord, that through your grace you would grant us the ability to think godly thoughts, to, as we'll study tonight, repent, turn from those thoughts, and turn to Christ. And Lord, we also um, look to you tonight as our rock, strong and steady and stable, in the midst of whatever change may be around us, Lord, we look to you for a constant reminder of your faithfulness, because Lord, you are our rock. No matter what happens in our lives, no matter what other people say and do, God, you are our rock. No matter even what our emotions are, how we might feel, how we might think, we look to you tonight as our rock. And Lord, we also know just how sinful and broken we are as people, how sinful and broken this world is, so we look to you as the Redeemer as well. You're the one who fixes broken things. And so, Lord, we look to you as our Redeemer tonight, the one who makes things right, who works all things for our good, who makes things new. And so, God, we thank you for 
the fact we can look to you and who you are and how great you are for our needs. Lord, we take these moments now to think on what it truly means to become a Christian, to be converted, to be regenerated, to be made alive, to be born again. And God, I pray for those in this room here who might not be believers, they're not born again, that in these next few moments they would begin to identify their heart and their, their place with you. They might look to you to make them new and to open their heart and to open their eyes. Lord, I also pray for those in this room who are believers, those of us who have been made new and converted and changed, that these moments would help to clarify exactly what you've done in our heart and our life and help us to live in that new life that you've given us. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So if you, I did hand out a schedule, and immediately as I hand it out tonight, I'm changing it. So last week, I dealt with the union, uh, our union with Christ. In fact, we are found in Christ. Christ is found in us. This week, we want to speak um, about regeneration and conversion would be the two topics this week. In fact, I had regeneration last week on the schedule, but it actually makes more sense to be with conversion this week. Uh, in many ways, regeneration and conversion, as I'll define in a moment, maybe these terms, as I use them, you may not be used to them, but in the sense of they are two sides of the same coin. Uh, regeneration is God's part in making man alive, taking us from death to life. Our heart has been regenerated. It has been made new. And I'll, the term you may be more familiar with is born again. You have gone from death to life. You're born. Somebody's born, they were not alive, now they are alive. And so the term regeneration speaks about God's role in making us alive. The term conversion is I'll have I'll go to further depth on each of these is man's repentance and faith. In essence, what man does in response to God's movement in his life. So these are the two elements when we speak about what happens when you become a Christian. Now, outside of that, we'll we'll talk about terms like next week we'll speak about justification and adoption, the two great biblical pictures of salvation. Those are things occurring to speak about you. And they speak about what happens outside of you. We speak about the idea a few weeks ago of atonement and how now when we are made right and the wrath of God is made right, that we've now, our sins have been atoned for. In particular, this is speaking about what actually happens with you. The Lord is making your heart new and you are responding with repentance and faith. So here's what I'd like to do. Um, I'd like to try to take these two chapters and combine them. So here's what I've done is the first page you have in front of you are characteristics that I think they share. So we'll speak about conversion and regeneration together. 
then I'm going to split them and speak about them individually. Okay? So follow along with me. I'm going to try to, because I felt like I'd just say the same thing about some of them. So here's where we'll start. The first one is, first characteristic of these two is that they are simultaneous. Here's what I mean is they happen at the same time when you become a Christian. Regeneration is the divine work in which humans contribute nothing. Conversion is the human response to the gospel. So both of these happening are at the same time. So there's not some sort of temporal difference in the sense of when these happen. Now, I'm going to draw this out a little bit, but I'm not going to dive fully into this pit. But when you get into the depths of this conversation the conversation lands on which one comes first. More in a logical order than some sort of time order. In the sense of, we all believe it happens the moment you're saved, that's where I get the second word, is they're instantaneous. There's a moment when a person goes from death to life. You're either dead or alive. You're either a Christian or you're not. You're either a Christ follower or a person who follows the world. There's no middle ground. There's no kind of fading into becoming a Christian. In fact, when we speak about regeneration, it's a moment where you were dead in sin, Ephesians 2, now alive in Christ. For many of us, we can remember this moment. You might be able to, if we were to go in this room, many of you in the room could go back to a time and you could say, this particular date, this particular hour, and this particular minute, this is when I was, the term you may be most comfortable with, born again. But it's when you were brought from death to life. It's instantaneous. In fact, the Bible doesn't describe people being in the process of being reborn. It's not like he's saying he was over a long period reborn. It's that they were born again. It's an instantaneous thing. But here's what I, I want to pause here for this moment and, and speak to this. And I could dive off in a bunch of things, but I, I would say it like this. And I understand what I'm jumping into a little bit here. But I would say that for some people, they may not be able to remember a particular minute and second and some sort of magical, emotional moment. In other words, if you were to... to drive it down and say, this is the exact moment I became a Christian, I don't believe everybody has to have that magical second moment. Now, what I would say is everybody needs to have a time that they remember becoming a Christian. They remember repenting of their sin. But it might occur, and you know, there may be a time where one day you just feel heavy conviction over your sin. And it's emotional. But just you feel conviction. You, don't, you haven't actually professed faith. Then there comes a time later where you begin to feel repentant and confess. And then the effects of that change begin to set in. And you can look back and say, I know I'm a Christian now. The fact is, I can look back at my journey and see a moment when I was 9 years old. I can see a moment when I was 15 years old. I can see even moments that went up into my early 20s. And I could say, these are all these particular moments and Go, when exactly was that that I have made a profession? When was it I became a Christian? I, I'm not sure on the exact moment. I do know that since then I've seen the marked movement of the Spirit in my life. So 
Here's what I want to press on. It's just simply to say, you know, I, I was talking to a, someone the other day uh, about this, and they said, you know, I, the, they, uh, it had been years since they had professed faith in Christ. And somebody had said to them, well, can you remember the moment? And they couldn't. They, it had been so long. I don't know if you guys have had this problem with your memory. They would forgotten. They couldn't remember the details of the moment. But they started to outline to me a clear picture of the gospel. They started to tell me how that's how they profess faith in Christ. They started to tell me about years of faithful uh, commitment to the church and the Bible. And they could tell me all about the work of the Lord in their life. And they couldn't remember the moment. You don't have to, even though it is a moment, I promise you, there is a minute you were dead and a minute you are alive. It doesn't mean you always have to remember that second. However, you should be able to see the mark change because it only happens one time. It means it is isolated. It is unrepeatable in your life. You only ever become a Christian one time. You don't become a Christian, become not a Christian, become a Christian, become not a Christian. You don't, you don't jump back and forth. Once a person experiences regeneration, they've been made alive in Christ, they are now alive forever. This is what we mean. We'll, we'll speak about this in a few weeks, about the assurance of salvation and how we believe, you know, I've heard it before, once saved, always saved. Might hear where all true believers will persevere to the end. If you're truly a Christian, you will carry on through. One time, you get saved. You become a Christian. You be born again. So, in light of that, this is where I could jump off. I want to get into the study, but I want to mention a few things. Forgive me uh, for just, I don't have a whole lot of scripture at this point, but I do want to mention this. In light of that, um, if it is a one-time event that you are professing faith in Christ, and from that point it carries on, if a person, th this is where we've got to be real careful, um, that there's a whole lot of people that may have professed faith at one point and never meant it, and it, it never produces any fruit. It's confusing sometimes, because they maybe have prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, and um, been baptized. In fact, I'll remember, I'll tell this story. Uh, I was talking to one student years ago, um, and I, I remember this, I had this conversation with her, and I said, well, what does it take for a person to be saved? What does it take for a person to get to heaven? And I remember the, the, the response was to follow Jesus and good leadership. That was the sum, sum total of what she gave me, which was an odd answer. Not the gospel. I can tell you by the exchange I had with the conversation I had with her, she didn't, it, there was no real fruit of any sort of spiritual walk. The fact is, I think I was having the conversation on Wednesday night because she was skipping church and walking around. Wasn't even wanting to go into to whatever service we had. And so there was no real fruit or any sort of response. And, and so I thought, well, i got to lead this girl to the Lord. And so I start going through the gospel with her. I want to share the gospel with this young lady. And so then I ask, have you ever done this before? And she says, yes. And we went all the way through. She had, 
She had prayed a prayer. She had been baptized. She had been through all the processes, but there was no sort of genuine repentance in her. She had not experienced this one-time event. So don't let, and I'll get to this in a minute, when people have a false expression of their faith, don't let that confuse you that it's real faith. Because the Bible speaks about false expressions of faith. But it's one time. I'll get to that more in a minute. Here's another one. It's mysterious. This idea of regeneration and conversion is a mysterious thing. Okay, I'm going to speak more about John 3 in a minute, because it's one of the key passages on being born again. But I want to draw this verse out before we jump in. John 3, 8 says this. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. Speaking about the Spirit, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. All I'm drawing from this is being, being born again, even talking to Nicodemus here in John chapter 3, Jesus says, there's a mystery that you don't understand how God is working in this. So there's some debate about how this plays out in different regards. There's a mystery to how God will make a man born again. In fact, it's hard to understand, right? Uh, people, people that are born again, when you're born again, you're made alive in Christ, that moment of conversion, in fact, it's invisible if you were looking at a person. It's kind of an odd way to think about it. But if somebody right here in your seat in this room decided to profess faith in Christ, and right now, in this moment, miraculously, God, by his mighty power, opened their spiritual eyes, and they were saved right here. We might not see anything, right? So there's a sense of, in the very moment, this instantaneous, miraculous, supernatural thing happens, you might, not, you might see a smile on their face, I guess. I mean, you, you wouldn't see this thing in the moment. It has an invisible nature, but it is verifiable. Meaning, if you experience this conversion, this regeneration of heart, it will produce fruit in the believer's life. In fact, the Bible tells you you can verify it. Look at 2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 and 6. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. You can actually examine yourself to test to see if you truly are a believer. It says, test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, there's the union with Christ again, like we talked about last week, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And then verse 8, just to drive it clear, it says, I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. In other words, you can get the results of the test. You can know whether you're a Christian. So this is where I want to pause. I'd like to have... I think an interesting conversation could be how you can know you're a Christian. I'd like to save that for a couple weeks when we look at um, how you can know that you're saved. There's a, there's a whole week we'll spend on how you can know you're a believer. But I just would like to comment that the fact you've experienced regeneration and conversion can be verified. It can be seen in your life. So, let's look at regeneration for a moment. I'll read the definition on the page. It says, Regeneration is the mighty work of God by which unbelievers are given a new nature. Being born again. 
people who are not followers of Christ, unbelievers, are granted a new nature being born again. The phrase you're probably most familiar with. In fact, there's a reason you're probably more familiar with born again. You see it more in the Bible. So let's look at some Bible verses, particularly that speak to the idea of regeneration or being born again. In fact, there's only a couple verses in the Bible that will use the term regeneration, and even one of them is not particularly speaking about this. But Titus 3.5 will speak directly to it. I'll read it to you. It says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's the idea of something being regenerated or being made new. You even see here uh, a unique spot. Uh, I'll mention this in a minute. But in the verse, I guess I'll go ahead and point it out here because it's my second bu bullet point. But the, this is somewhat of a Trinitarian act. You notice the Holy Spirit plays a unique role of regenerating the heart, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. In fact, you'll see that in John chapter 3 as well. So being regenerated is something particularly done by the Spirit, and it is the Lord making your heart new. Let's expand it a little bit more with John chapter 3. I'll read verses 1 through 7 with Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. Now there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So you've now got this picture of being regenerated, something dead being made alive, and now we have this idea of being born again. Jesus answers Nicodemus, which, in fact, he thinks Jesus is a good teacher. He thinks highly of Jesus. But, but that's not enough. He must be born again. Look at 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, again, who's doing the acting, who's regenerating the heart, it's God. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so you, you have the picture again of being born again. It's a regenerated heart. So I mentioned already the trini trinities in action here. In particular, you see the Spirit. You saw it in John 3, born of the Spirit, which the Spirit is the one regenerating the heart. But at base level, Part of being born again is an understanding of the sinful condition. Notice that point C under there, the sinful condition as a presupposition of regeneration. 
You have to understand, in order for you to be made alive, you have to understand you were dead. You have to understand the condition that you were in. This is why we speak of Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. You, you, you think of, they were dry bones. There was no life in them. Think of Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in sin. There's not some sense at which you have some sort of spiritual life and Jesus is just simply adding a little bit of extra charge to it so that you're just a better person. It's that you were dead and you needed to be born again. You need to be made alive again. You know, I was heard this quote before, but I found, as I was reading one of the books today, the source of it. Um, the quote is, the purpose of the gospel is not to make, well, here's, here was the quote I got. The gospel is to make bad men good and good men better. Of course, that's a bad quote, right? Uh, that's, that quote comes uh, from the president of the Church of Latter-day Saints. In fact, he's, he's saying he's defining the Mormon gospel. And so then you get what maybe you've heard used in this context. The purpose of the gospel is not to make bad men good or dead men better, but to bring dead men back to life. It's not somehow just to give some sort of good part of you a, an extra charge. It's that you were dead and you need to be made alive, born again, regenerated. So this is the picture of the gospel, and it must be laid at the feet of the fact that you were sinful, separated from him. I mean, this is the analogy you could go a hundred different ways of a, a corpse is unable. You walk up to a corpse and say, bring yourself back to life. There's, not, there's nothing they can do to bring life to them. If you're a little bit alive and maybe you're sick and not feeling well, you can do some things to make yourself feel better. We're not talking about sick people feeling better. We're talking about dead people being made alive. So just as a pause here, the point D, regeneration is a divine work. In other words, when you are sharing the gospel, you have to understand when you're speaking to a person, they are dependent upon the Lord to make them alive. You're not just asking somebody a decision they can make all on their own. That they need the Lord to work in their heart. So whenever you're sharing the gospel, it's not just like you trying to convince somebody that what you believe is better. Although the Lord has called you to present the gospel to somebody, you need to be reminded is you need the Lord to, Zach 16, I used this in prayer time the other week, that he, the Lord would open the eyes or open the heart. Actually says the Lord opened the heart of Lydia so that she would hear the message that Paul was preaching. So then, we preach, we speak the gospel, and allow the Lord to open the eyes. So this divine work of regeneration is of the Lord. There's a list here of new qualities that are a part of being regenerated or made new. You have a new life, a new nature, a new heart. You're a new creation, and you have a new purity found in the Lord. Each one of these things are part of the 
new life you now have in Christ. All of this is a part of our union with him as well. We spoke, talked about last week, you, you take the big umbrella of being found in Christ and Christ being found in you, as a part of that, under that big umbrella, is the fact under there that he has now regenerated your heart. You're now alive spiritually. He's removing your old nature and implanting a new one. So let's speak about a couple ways to enact this doctrine. How does this play out? First, you need to be thankful for God's mighty work in you of regeneration. To understand that he has, as a believer, done a mighty work in you to, made you, to make you alive in him. Don't just look back at the time you, before you became a Christian as, well, I just was okay, and now I've just been made better. You have to understand, where I came from, I was dead. And now he's done a mighty work to make me new. Here's another one that's worth thinking on. Developing the right expectations for the results of regeneration. Here's what I mean. We should expect radical change for people when they come to Christ. Expect dead people to act like dead people and alive people to act like alive people. So, in a sense, people that aren't believers lower your expectations and people that are believers raise your expectations. Don't expect people that haven't had Christ make their heart new to somehow act in a godly manner. The Bible describes them as dead in sin. But the reverse comes, and this is where we have to be careful. When we call somebody a Christian, we need to expect them to act like a Christian. That they're going to have the marks of a Christian. I've dealt with this in my own family. It's a struggle. I've had family members, close family members, that years ago prayed a prayer and walked an aisle and were baptized and went to church for a couple years. And then for years have lived a life far from looking anything like they're alive. They've lived a life that looks nothing like a Christian. Well, there's not really a category in the Bible for a Christian who lives years and years and years apart from Christ. So we, we can't look at that person and say, well, that person's alive. You, you have to look back at the moment that they supposedly profess faith. I have much greater question then because of the years of fruit of them living apart from Christ. Last thing is communicating the gospel by which unbelievers may be born again. So, this is a slight nuance to think about, maybe a, much more than slight. But when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, don't act like this is all they're doing. In other words, hey, if you'll just do this, you can get God to save you. You need to call on them to look to God to regenerate their heart. You need to say, hey, look, 
you know you're a sinner. Right now you need to pray to God and repent and believe on Him and trust Him to make your heart new. Because He is the one who will make you alive. Don't feel like you're just, hey, just pray this prayer. You pray this prayer, we're done. Me and you have prayed this, we're done, and we're, we're through. As long as you say these words, God will do what you say. You need God to wake your heart up too. Again, I, there's nothing wrong with praying a prayer. But if you solely rely on the prayer, then you've missed what the Lord is doing. Let's talk about conversion, the other side of the coin. It's the human response to the gospel, consisting of repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. So we've talked all about what God does, but clearly the Bible doesn't speak about salvation is only, well, God just saves and you just have to deal with it. The Bible speaks about something we call people to do. Conversion consists of two elements, repentance and faith. So I want you to think about it as repentance is turning from the sin of the world and faith as turning to Christ as Savior. In fact, conversion is an idea of turning. It kind of carries that whole word. And so, in many ways, repentance and faith go, they're the same thing. As you turn from sin and turn from the world, you turn to Christ as a Savior. You can't, you can't have faith without the other. You can't have faith without turning from sin. You, you, can't have, you can't just say, I'm going to turn from sin without turning to Christ. The whole thing comes together. Let's speak about repentance first. It's changing one's mind and life. It involves a sorrow for sin and a turning from that sin. I put some examples there. I think you have this in your notes. Of repentance, different verses from the Old Testament where God's calling for his people to repent. Y'all have that there in your notes? Y'all left it in. And then Jonah 3, Jonah's calling for the people of Nineveh to repent. Matthew 3 is, is John the Baptist calling for people to repent. Jesus in Luke 24 will say repentance is a part of his ministry. And then in Acts 2, when the new church starts, they'll call for people to repent. And be baptized. So there's this sense of repentance all through scriptures called for people. But, but repentance must be genuine. And the verse I thought it would be worth spending time on in that regard is 2 Corinthians 7. I'll read just verses 9 and 10. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. And verse 10 is the main one here. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So there's a difference between simply just feeling bad for what you've done and repenting. Just getting beat up and feeling like you did something terrible is not repentance. 
In fact, I would even press it on you if you're a Christian. You've got to be careful sometimes if you hear a sermon or you read your Bible in the morning or whatever it might be. There's oftentimes I think we just feel bad by what we hear and we don't actually repent from what we hear. But that sermon made me feel terrible about how I don't pray. Let me just keep living like I live, right? There's a sense of true, genuine conviction and repentance of sin turns from that and leads you to salvation, leads you to a holy life. So one component here is a turning from sin, is a repentance. The second half is faith. Faith is a, in our modern 2019 world, faith can get thrown around and watered down pretty good. I am a person of faith, someone might say, right? What does that even mean? It can just mean I have spiritual thoughts, right? I mean, there's not person of faith. Everybody has faith in something. So it doesn't mean anything to say you're a person of faith. It, it's the object of your faith that matters, right? So that's why we said turn from sin and put your faith in Christ. So the big distinction here is your faith is placed in Christ. In fact, there's several levels here. I pulled some of these from Wayne Grudem. He says that at ground level, knowledge alone is just not enough. James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So just, just to say, hey, I know there's a God is not enough. You can even say, I believe there was a Jesus. There are demons that believe that. That is not enough to call it faith. Steps it up to another level to say knowledge and approval are not enough. Gives the example here of, we just read one, Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus, says, good teacher. Even the rich young ruler will say the same thing when he comes to Jesus, you are a good teacher. Not only do I have to just say I believe that Jesus existed, at this point, Nicodemus and the rich young ruler will both look at Jesus and say, I think you're good. I approve of Jesus. But that's not enough just to approve of Jesus. In fact, it's when Jesus will look at Nicodemus and say, you must be born again. It's not enough just simply to have an intellectual knowledge of Jesus and an approval of Jesus. You must depend on Jesus. There must be a dependence on him. This is the classic example of a chair. I can point and say, I know that chair exists. I can say that I approve of you sitting in that chair. But only when I will be willing to put myself in the chair do I have faith. I have to depend on it. And so to turn from your sin and depend on Jesus, we're talking about depending upon him for my righteousness, not my own. You have placed your Faith in Him. What's dangerous is the Bible has categories for hypocrites. It's a real thing. And a hypocrite isn't someone who sets out and is openly false. It's a person who is intentionally deceiving. From Judas 
So Jesus will say, there's people that walk around in my name, and when I see you in heaven, I'll look at you and say, depart from me, I never knew you. Back to the example here from Matthew 13, I put on your page. Speaking about the different seeds that were thrown out, as for what was on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it. Notice they, they receive the word. They do it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. He endures for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. This example, this isn't someone who's a believer and is going to come back and rededicate their life again and kind of work this cycle. This is a person who's not a Christian. So, so the, the idea here is there are people with false faith. But you can have somebody in front of you profess they will follow Christ. In fact, you've probably done it, haven't you? Have you seen somebody profess faith in Christ and then completely walk away from that decision? I've done it. I've been there and seen it. Sometimes I've even in the moment thought, you don't believe what you're saying. I, I can't tell you I'm sure you have no idea what you're saying or you don't believe it, but I can see that you don't really genuinely mean that you want to put your faith in Christ. So there's such thing as a false faith for people to have. But, but to be a Christian, you must have the Lord regenerate your heart and genuinely be converted. Repent of your sin and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's walk through a few errors to avoid and doctrines to enact. A few things to avoid. The first one is taking credit for one's conversion or making, or making yourself the deciding factor in your own repentance and faith for salvation. You have to understand the Lord saved you. You didn't save yourself. The Lord opened your eyes. The Lord granted you repentance. So you need to understand your role in Him saving you. Here's the second one. Minimizing the important, importance of the human role in conversion. In other words, just because we believe God is the one who saves, just because we believe God is the one who opens eyes, just because we believe that God is the one who draws us to Himself, doesn't mean we stop looking at people and calling on them to repent of their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus. Sometimes people say, well, if I know that God's in control and he's all this decisive deal, then I'm just, why do I even bother sharing the gospel? You do it because the Bible said that's your role in God's saving people. And so you speak clearly to people, calling them to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. So don't minimize your role. In fact, even if you believe God is the one who called certain people out and saved certain people, he's declared he's going to do it through the means of you. So be a part of his work to save somebody. Shouldn't stop you from sharing the gospel. Here's, a, here's another one. Insisting that the conversion of others must be similar to one's own conversion. I mentioned this earlier when I talked about my story of how I came to faith in Christ. We have to be a little bit careful that we take what my conversion was like 
and say that everybody has to have that kind of supernatural moment. In fact, most people that, if you came to faith in Christ as an adult, typically that's a more radical conversion. You had, you had a period of time to build up some sin, and then a moment to come to faith in Christ, and then a marked period of time to show a difference. But if you were a child, you professed faith in Christ, maybe in some ways you just grew up hearing the gospel. And somewhere along the way as a kid, you just received that, you understood your sin, you were converted as you came along, and you just know now you're a follower of Christ. It's just been a part of life. You can't, some people deal with that. Man, I, I don't know why I don't have this big testimony story. You don't have to. You don't have to have the same story as everybody else. You just have to have believed on the Lord Jesus and repented of your sin and have the marks of the fruit in your life. That's what you're looking for. Here's a fourth one. Defining conversion is involving faith only without repentance. This would be a light version of calling people to Jesus. Jesus has a radical call to him where you turn from your sin. In fact, there's these, these lighter versions where people can just say, I believe in Jesus, and then go back and live like the world. That's not the picture of the gospel. The gospel must be a turning of sin, a turning to Christ, and placing your faith in him. So we have to be careful not to remove repentance and the idea of turning from sin from the gospel. Here's a couple of ways to enact the doctrine, and then we'll conclude. First one is thank God for his grace that enabled you to repent out of sin and believe in Christ for salvation. If you're a Christian here today, there shouldn't be any sort of arrogance when you look at somebody who's not a believer. You should just thank God He saved you. And, and it's, it creeps up in our hearts. Because you get around people who aren't Christians and you start seeing them make terrible decisions and then you see your life and you're, I mean, you're making, if you make godly decisions, there's things that happen that are better for you. And then if you make ungodly decisions, there's things that happen to you that are worse for you. As so you start looking at these people, you say, man, look at, look at these terrible decisions. And you start thinking, man, look at me. Look how good I am. And it's this arrogance that builds up. It is but for the grace of God. So be thankful that you are who you are. All right, the second one is share the gospel and your story of conversion with others. You know, ultimately out of all this comes a great testimony of what the Lord has done. It's amazing to me sometimes is I see people write out their testimony that they may write about a lot of the things that happened around conversion, but they can't always speak clearly about what happened for them to be saved. It's worthwhile not only for you to think about you sharing your story, but find very natural ways to speak exactly about these things. Don't just don't tell people, hey, you know what, I, I once had kind of an aimless, pointless life, I found Christ, now my life's just better. Now, that may be true. 
I hope it is. I hope that your life was worse without Christ, and now with Christ it is way better, and you can tell people about that. But find ways when you tell your story to talk about just how dead you were in sin, how much Christ has made you alive, what the difference he has made, how now you have placed your faith in him, and find ways to share this message with others. Let's take a moment in prayer, close out our time. First off, just take a moment, think about just where you were headed before Christ and thank God by His grace He has you where you're at. And second, I want you to think of someone that you know is not a believer. Even someone who claims to be a believer, yet their life does not show any signs of regeneration. And take a moment and pray to the Lord for their soul. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life we have in Christ. Lord, the blessings that come from an abundant life found in you, the peace, the joy, the comfort, the strength, the hope that we have, Lord, on a daily basis, Lord, we, we sometimes forget just how much of a blessing it is to be a follower of yours. And so, Lord, tonight we're just thankful we're alive. Second of all, Lord, we think of these individuals, many of us, many of them close friends or family members that we can think of. We're not sure of their salvation or we might be fairly sure of their, the fact that they're separated from you, Lord. We pray now and we ask for you to draw them to you. Lord, we ask for you to open their hearts so they might see and understand. Lord, we ask for you to make them alive. For you to work. God, we ask for you to give us opportunities to speak a clear gospel to them and that you would use that gospel to, to make them born again. God, we pray you would help them to see their sin, help them to see you for the greatness, the treasure that you are, they might profess faith in you. Lord, as we go from here, may we be faithful with the gospel that you've given us and entrusted us with. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.